Everything you know about human nature is a falsehood, but maybe that's a good thing. Welcome, my mere mortalites, to another round of the book reviews. My name is Karen, and I do these book reviews for those who want to transcend beyond their mere mortality. And today we have one actually transcending you beyond your humanity. Yes, indeed, we have the book Humankind, A Hopeful History by Rutger Bregman. This book was published in 2019, and it's about 400 pages in length, although significantly more if you include all the annotations, texts, and footnotes at the end of it. And it's essentially an argument of why humanity is good at heart and why we actually take good actions as a whole. So not taking specific individuals, but as a whole, humanity is a good thing. And why cynicism is actually somewhat of an untrue or false argument. Now, this is presented mostly in the book as a dichotomy between two different styles of thinking. One is the Thomas Hobbes, i.e. humanity is at heart a nature, a beast, you know, fighting tooth, claw and nail, that sort of stuff. And civilization is what makes us better. It keeps us in check versus Jean-Jacques Rousseau, which is a, a French philosopher, writer who argued that no, humanity is actually good at heart and it's civilization that makes us do bad things. That the groups of people together is what makes us act and behave badly in the world. Bregman presents his arguments in quite a few ways. He particularly looks at individual studies, which apparently show why humanity is bad and somewhat debunks them, showing them how they're eh, not super great science. He looks at stories from the past, mythology, things like that. And then also quite a few statistics of more validated science, I guess you would say, things that are a, a bit more statistically relevant and looks at all of these different things. Now, he split his book up into five separate chapters and I'll quickly go over them here. So he's got a little bit of a prologue saying, hey, why Lord of the Flies, for example, as that sort of book, which I reviewed on here recently, isn't really a good indication of what humanity would actually be like out in the wild and what we are like in, in our hearts. He then has part one, the state of nature. So this is looking more at our past, our history and saying, hmm, you know, even though these things might indicate that we were bad or that we were excessively violent and things like that. No, this isn't true. Uh, part two, after Auschwitz. So this is obviously having to explain, okay, how can we do some really bad things that we know humans have done, such as the Nazis and the gulags and things like that. Part three, why good people turn bad. So this is having a look at maybe explaining why even though that we are good at heart, how come some people and some individuals and some companies can turn up and do bad things to each other? Part four, which is a new realism. So this is looking at uh, the power of intrinsic motivation. This is what democracy looks like. So he's looking in this section saying, mm, okay, this is what actually happens in reality, even though we aren't subject to it in in our face in the news media and things like this. This isn't the predominant narrative and he's trying to change that. And then part five, the other cheek. So this is talking about examples from history of how we have had the opportunity to take revenge on each other, do bad things to each other, and we haven't. Touching upon the author before we move on, Rutger Bregman is a Dutch historian and writer. So he's written quite a few books and he's also published in magazines and the whatnot. What's really interesting about him is that he really goes over into some of his own false impressions and is really looking at how his thinking has changed over the years. And this book also sort of showcases his change and why his thinking has changed as well and why your thinking, whilst uh, ident maybe identical to how his was in the past, 
could also have some false assumptions baked into it. So this book was almost a a way of him of explaining how his decision making and his thoughts and his beliefs have changed over time with more information, with more statistics and with more, I suppose, deeper thinking into this uh, look of humanity and are we good? Are we bad? That sort of question. The first thing he looks at is veneer theory. Are we about to crack? So what he's talking about here is that there is this Cynicism that seems to prevail amongst communities, organizations, particular people is that humanity is maybe on a a thin glass surface. And if we just take away that little bit of surface, if we crack it, that we will show our true nature beneath. So this is the Thomas Hobbes sort of explanation. Humanity is and life is nasty, brutish and short. And what we're looking at here is things like uh, after Hurricane Katrina, everyone just started looting, murdering and, you know, taking from other people if you look at uh, popular things like squid game it's that you know humanity is a real easy you know tiny little bit away from murdering each other to get more money and things like this so he's really looking at this and saying you know is this actually true are we one step away are we a, a small apocalypse away from really showing our true colors and the reason this veneer theory exists is because we're trying to explain certain things how could the nazis happen how could world war ii happen and world war one and any of the numerous other examples of humans killing other humans or enslaving other humans and things like this and he's really saying a lot of this seems to be post hoc explanations we're trying to explain things admittedly very bad things that happened, but it doesn't really capture the heart of what actually happened there and that we're coming up with theories for this and they're not super useful. So for example, a couple of things uh, we would see are the dominant examples are actually a little bit BS. So if you look at things like the Stanford Milgram experiments, so these are the the shock experiments. If you look at the Stanford prison experiments, so this is, uh, I won't try and explain them actually, it'd be kind of hard. The Easter Island uh, saying, oh yeah, you know, everyone killed themselves there because we're locked on an island and then, you know, we resorted to cannibalism and things like that. And he really dives into the actual story and says, you know what, if you really look at this, if you look at the science behind those studies, man, they were doctored, they were uh, influenced by the person running the study, um, Zimbardo, things like this. And he's saying, you know what, none of them really uh, are, are true. They, there's a lot of other things beneath the surface going on there. So part of his book is dispelling veneer theory. The arguments you use to promote this, uh, they're biased. They don't really make a lot of sense. And if you dive into it, they're just not true as the way they are presented, particularly in the media, because, hey, bad news sells better than good news. So let's promote these things. That being said, he's a realist. He doesn't deny that bad things happen in the world. And he has some explanations for these as well. One of this is he sort of sees agriculture and farming as a has a responsibility for a lot of the bad things that are happening in terms of control of powers of uh, resources being centralized and things like this and also the ability to divide is real so the ability to have in group out group sort of dynamics and things like that is totally real and 100% happens but there's a little bit of artificial control that happens in those circumstances and if we're smart about it we can ensure that that doesn't artificially create this bad behavior that we see in humans in terms of cruelty and killing and things like this. The second theme is a hopeful history. So this is the mixing of the future, aka the hopeful, with the past, aka the history. And so in the first theme, I guess, of the book, you would say is that he really tried to argue why 
Thomas Hobbes' argument isn't useful, why humanity is not nasty and brutish and things like this at heart. The second theme, i.e. this one, is that he's trying to show, okay, the Rousseau argument is more correct. We're good at heart and there's external factors outside of us that cause us to behave badly. One of his arguments here is the rise of homo puppy. So he's looking at some experiments, some evolutionary things that are going on with foxes and wolves. And he's saying, you know, if you see their history and if you selectively breed them for being more kind to each other, being uh, selected for things like being more willing to go up to humans, more um, less attackful, and you'll see this with their uh, physiology as well. They'll get the f- uh, fluffier ears, the drooping ears. They'll behave, uh, the snouts, I believe, get wider and their eyes less beady or th- things like this. You've, you really need to go into the book to, to really get it. I'm doing a bad explanation here. He's saying, okay, humans are sort of like that. Once upon a time, we are Neanderthals or like, you know, there was the Homo sapiens and things like this. And just over time, we've become kinder and we've sort of been selective by group pressures to to make us more kinder in nature and things like this. So he has some evolutionary arguments into them. I'll talk a little bit about them in the the, um, takeaway section about why those aren't always super useful. But an interesting theory. And then he also has things like, okay, civilization and power corrupt once you get to the top. So at heart, we're good, but it's once you get further and further along the line, once you start climbing the corporate hierarchy and things like this, when you actually get up there, that's when you start to see the corruption. And it's not necessarily that corrupt people get to the top because they're corrupt it's more they get to the top and then they are corrupted he also looks at our goodness and how this can cause our bad so if you're too empathetic this means that you might want to hurt the out group because you are so connected with this person you feel their pain so much that you want to take away that pain and you can do that by hurting the people who are outside of that they're the outsiders we don't care about them so it's not that we hate the outsiders and that's the the logical start first step it's no we're really empathetic and then because of that we hurt the out group same with a compassion or friendliness so we're super friendly and we you know love connecting with our comrades for example but in a war situation you're not fighting against the other side because you believe in the ideology of the Nazis or things like this. A lot of the Germans didn't. They were fighting because they were fighting for their friends. Their friends were behind, beside them, behind them, all around them. They were fighting for, for them and not so much because, oh, yeah, I care so much about the you know genocide and the Jews and all that sort of shit. So he was saying... A lot of the times, if you look at the reasons, say, we're doing bad things, i.e. killing that person over there or being cruel to that group over there, it's not the first step is that we're we're necessarily cruel in that instance. It's we're super empathetic. We have a good thing, but the excess of that good thing, if we fall into it too much, that can then result us in hurting those other people. Just reflecting on his main argument and how he presented the book of uh, Rousseau versus Hobbes, you know, humanity is good versus humanity is bad. It always gets me wondering, like, why can't humanity just be? Why can't humanity be just is? rather than having to have this dichotomy between the two of them. Now, I totally understand it's kind of fun to have the good versus the bad, which is going to win, which is a more persuasive argument. That's totally cool. And uh, yeah, so if you're you're looking for that in a book, well, this book is a, a good argument, I would say, for why the humanity is good. And in particular, looking at some of those studies, which I will go into now in the observations and takeaways. So, 
it's very similar to uh, some other books such as Sapien, such as uh, many of Malcolm Gladwell's books where he'll have these chapters that are delineated and then he'll be exploring a study or a connected series of studies trying to build up a mini argument, I guess, in favor of his grand argument. Now, the problem with this is that so many of these arguments and these studies are you're looking at one particular thing and then it gets debunked. So he had multiple debunkings in this book. I've already mentioned some of them, the Stanford stuff, the um, Milgram shock experiments, the Easter Island. There's, you know, plenty and plenty of others uh, of, of stories where it dominated the narrative for years and even gets told on to this day. And yet when you look at it more deeply, it's like, no, nah, that's kind of BS. I would also say that I get the feeling that a lot of the stuff in this book will become a, a debunking book in the future. So he debunks many of the things that appeared in uh, some of Malcolm Gladwell's books, for example. I could sort of see a, an author maybe 10 years in the future looking at this book and being like, bam, debunk this, bam, debunk that. The Rise of Homo Puppy, bam, debunked. So it really just got me thinking like, uh it's kind of hard to know really what uh, if you're looking at an individual one-off experiment it's a nice little thing to talk about but i wouldn't put too much weight in that because over the years i've seen my own mm, thoughts on these just go man every sort of little one-off experiment i thought showed something about humanity or showed something that was true in the universe there's a lot of bias that goes into that one thing or there's a lot of things wrong with that and you should probably try and not cite too many of them because you'll get your ass burnt and it'll get debunked in the future. Another takeaway is that although this book is trying to make an argument that's somewhat esoteric, you know, is humanity good or is humanity bad? He also has some takeaways that he got from learning in this process from researching, investigating, studying and saying, okay, I believe humanity is good, but I also recognize we can do bad things. What are some things that I can do in my life to ensure I stay in the good path and don't do those bad things. And I think it's worth reading out. So this is in the epilogue. He had 10 little uh, points here. I'll just read them over. I won't go into them in too much detail. Number one, when in doubt, assume the best. Number two, think in win-win scenarios. Number three, ask more questions. Number four, temper your empathy, train your compassion. Number five, try to understand the other, even if you don't get where they're coming from. Number six, love your own as others love their own. Number seven, avoid the news. I think that's a big one. <laughs> Number eight, don't punch Nazis. Number nine, come out of the closet. Don't be ashamed to do good. And number 10, be realistic. Once again, it doesn't really help me saying these just here without all the context behind them. But I would strongly say if you're reading this book, definitely read that epilogue because there's a lot of really hard-pitting points in there that require the whole of the book to read to really get to the heart of it. But uh, I thought he had some really great examples there and some really interesting things that I could try and into implement into my own life. And there's a couple in there that I, I really do want to investigate a bit more and think more deeply over. My final observation is that it's funny how the small touches, the unique occurrences that are contained within a book is what can really make it for you or make it sort of bland and uninteresting. There was a couple of tiny points where he just lists off something that's personal to him and I went, yeah, man, he's bang on the money. So he is not a fan of the self-help genre. This is something I also have come to, although I recognize that it is useful for a stage. I found it useful in my life, but then went ah, as a whole, 
uh, you you, you want to use it quickly and then get out of it. And I think he sort of agreed with that type of mentality. The other was, you know, avoiding the news. He was railing against how bad the news is for you, how bad it is for your health, how we're just not designed to be that way. And I 100% agree with that. So it's funny just seeing how, you know, this book could have been about something else or it could have had uh, a couple of opposite ob- observations. He could have really loved the news and that probably would have, affected my rating quite significantly, even though it's only a tiny little portion. So just noticing my own little biases in there and going, oh yeah, it's uh, it's the tiny touches that do make the difference sometimes. So in summary, it's a crazy amount of condensed critical thinking. He goes over a lot of topics in this book from the past, the future, individual stories, statistics, all sorts of manner of things are all put into and weaved into this argument. I think it bursts a couple of bubbles that you might have that are too simplistic. And the problem is, though, it also could suffer from the same underlying condition, which is that it relies on a couple of one-off stories or studies that might be amenable in the future to bursting as well or being discredited and whatnot. That being said, it's a really likable style. I enjoyed his little humor and one-off little bits in it and found it really easy to follow. And I would just say it put into a context a bunch of realities that I also sort of believe in my own head. And so it conformed to my view of what humanity is like, which is essentially it's fun to be hopeful. And maybe it's uh, that the nocebo sort of thing, which is that if you believe something hard enough, those bad effects will happen in your life. I.e., I think I'm going to get sick and then you do get sick. That sort of thing can pop up a lot. And so I think he presented a lot of really good arguments in this book of why humanity is a a good thing, why we're good at heart and why we have a hopeful history from our past and maybe a hopeful future as well. So in total, I'm giving the book Humankind, A Hopeful History by Rutger Bregman, a seven and a half out of 10. Very enjoyable. And that is it for today, my mere mortalites. Thank you for joining me to this part of the audio. What are your thoughts on humankind? Are we good? Are we bad? Are you more of a Thomas Hobbes person? Are you more of a Jean-Jacques Rousseau? I would love to know all of these things. And you can do it directly via a Boostergram, which is actually why I read this book. Someone recommended it to me and I thought, hmm, this would be an interesting book to go over. So a Boostergram is essentially a message that you can send in the podcasting app that you're listening in if you are on one of the new podcasting apps. So this is a podcasting 2.0 app which essentially is a message that you can send to me and I will receive it directly. I'll be able to see the timestamp, the episode that you sent it on. It makes it a really fun way to connect with me directly. So if you go to newpodcastapps.com and look for any of the apps with value, I will uh, be able to list some of them now. Breeze, Curocaster, Podfriend, Fountain FM, Castomatic. There's a whole bunch of them out there. They're fun apps to use. They're useful. And I think they can also bring benefit to you because I also put things such as images in the chapters and whatnot. So other than that, uh, if you could send me a message, I would really, really appreciate it. It makes it more dynamic and interesting for me and for you guys as well. Other than that, though, I do hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are in the world. Kyron out.